Okay, can you hear me? Okay, um, so I just wanted to say first that it's been such an honor to write. Um, when Jeremy asked me to, I just felt so blessed, and um, writing is truly something that I feel is, is a gift God gave me, so it's really fun to use it in this capacity. Um, I just hope that, you know, through God, my words can touch at least one person anytime I write. And um, since I was asked to read this week, I thought, well, I'm going to write one that just kind of comes from, like, true little kid Melinda, that, you know, just something that's a little bit more personal, a little more vulnerable. Um, and maybe you, like me, have tried washing, you know, your hands of your past and only to realize that only Jesus can do that. <laughs> so here's what I wrote. I first consciously lied about cheating on a test in third grade. I couldn't sleep. I told my mom and was reassured, don't do it again. And I don't cheat on tests anymore. I first gossiped about a friend soon after, but she was really so mean. I had to tell someone. I don't gossip unless it's really, really worth it. I was first unkind when I tried to make a path for myself and my old best friend didn't fit the bill, but we were growing apart anyway. Now, I'm never unkind. Well, not to anyone's face. People who lie, cheat, slay with their words and do wrong, I stand firmly on the rock of, I don't like them much. And then, my dear friend tells me something I do not want to hear. I cringe when she says it. I wish she hadn't, but she did. And now, I'll never get rid of the thought. Jesus loves them, too. Jesus, in particular, loves the names and faces of those who've hurt me. My pride, my spirit, my happiness, my sense of safety, and my self-worth. Why, Jesus, do you have to love them? And that's when Jesus smiles with blood dripping down his face, his hands outstretched, so I can see the messy holes. My child, he says, I loved you when you cheated on that test, when you told your first lie, when you murdered others with your thoughts when you were unkind, when you hated, when you even hated yourself, my lovely creation. And he takes his hand, he takes my hand in his, but his blood gets on my skin. I feel the warmth, but my hands are clean. He pulls me into a hug, and where his thorny crown lies, I feel only his gentle presence, comfort, and steadiness. Yes, he says, he says, yes, I love them too. I died for you both. Bloodied my hands so yours could remain clean, washed in my blood. You, her, Pilate, Judas, Peter, Mary, Thomas, David, Jezebel, Solomon, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Israel. I love you all so much, forever and ever. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the trolley problem? Why don't you bring up that picture? How many of you are familiar with the trolley problem? Okay, handful of you. Um, you are welcome because I was going to ask you to try to solve the trolley problem for the connection point question today. <laughs> and I, I relented. You are welcome. So the trolley problem, you might be familiar with it uh, when I start describing it a little bit. The, the, the trolley problem is the idea or, or the, the thought experiment where you are standing by and there's a lever in front of you and you are watching 
as an out-of-control trolley that clearly does not have any brakes is speeding past you, and you are able to look up ahead and see on the track that there are five people who are on the track in front of the trolley. They're distracted. They're maybe looking at their phones. They're like, they're not aware of what's going on. They're not going to be able to get out of the way of this trolley that is running out of control, okay? However, you also notice that that little lever on the ground in front of you is a switch that would allow the trolley to be redirected on a different track and would only kill the one person, okay? But in order for that to happen, you have to physically flip that switch. So in, in, this, in this scenario, the trolley problem is, what do you do? You have to do something. Well, maybe you don't have to do anything. Uh, your response could be, well, I'm not going to do anything uh, because I would have to do something and I'd be responsible for that, so I'm going to let this out-of-control trolley hit these five people. Or you could say, you know what, five to one, it'd be better to just have the one, so I'm going to take it upon myself to willfully, basically willfully kill that one person. Now, there's there's uh, variations in how this is told, like sometimes the it's five to one, and the, the one person is uh, someone you know. Sometimes the, either the five or the one are children. Um, sometimes it's like uh, the, the five or the one are your worst enemies. Sometimes it's 99 to one. And again, the goal is to try to figure out what would you do in this situation? What's the moral and ethical thing to do? Is it to willfully stand back and allow something to happen? Or is it that you, uh, you will take it in your own hands to maybe make a change that has uh, less of impact on life, but that you are responsible for? What's the right answer? Nobody's gonna share. Here's the thing, there, there's like not a right answer. At least there's not a right answer that like keeps your hands clean, right? No matter what you do, whether you're just sitting back and watching as five people or 99 people are killed, or you're willfully flipping that switch and taking the life of that one person, somehow your hands are not going to be clean as a result of this. Today we're going to be talking about not having clean hands. Uh, we have been in the middle of this series. We've been uh, working our way through uh, the Gospel according to John, which is one of the, the four uh, biographies about the life of Jesus. And we have been in this series that's called We Were Seeds. And the idea is that um, what are the things that we can do in the messiness of life? How can we grow goodness when life goes to blank? And you can fill in that blank however you would see fit, <laughs> right? Um, so as we've been working our way through, we've been following the life of Jesus, and even though we are just weeks out, we're two weeks out from Easter, uh, we are in the middle of the hours leading up to Jesus' death. Last week, we got to the point where it was the trial where Jesus was standing before Pilate, who was the, the Roman governor at the time. And they have this interaction where Pilate's asking him questions, and uh, Jesus confronts him with truth, and Pilate, who is uh, this bully and, and troll, can't handle the truth, and so he tries to get out of the situation as quickly as possible. He's trying to keep his hands clean. Well, it's not going to be that simple. So we pick up the story in John chapter 18 and following, uh, actually, into the next chapter. When Pilate had said this, what is truth is what he said, he went back outside to the Jewish leaders and announced, I find no basis for an accusation against him. 
but it is your custom that I release one prisoner for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release you, uh, le- release for you the king of the Jews? Then they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged severely. The soldiers braided a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe. They came up to him again and again and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him repeatedly in the face. Again, Pilate went out and said to the Jewish leaders, Look, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no reason for an accusation against him. So Jesus came outside wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Look, here is the man. When the chief priest and their uh, officers saw him, they shouted out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said, You take him and crucify him. Certainly I find no reason for an accusation against him. The Jewish leaders replied, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard what they said, he was more afraid than ever. And he went back into the governor's residence and said to Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and to crucify you? Jesus replied, You would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to join you is, uh, who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. From this point on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jewish leaders shouted out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard those words, he brought Jesus outside and sat down on the judgment seat in the place called the Stone Pavement, Gabbatha in Aramaic. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, about noon. Pilate said to the Jewish leaders, Look, here is your king. Then they shouted out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked, Shall I crucify your king? The high priest replied, We have no king except Caesar. Then Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. It's a bit of a long story. Uh, There's a lot going on there, a lot of heavy stuff going on there. But the thing that I see repeatedly going on in this story, and even in the background of this story, is something that in PR terms might be termed reputation management. Reputation management, in, uh, in the words that we're using today, is like trying to keep your hands clean. Trying not to be seen as too dirty. And as I read this story, I repeatedly see reputation management going on here. So the first reputation management that I see going on here is coming from the, the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, these, these are people who were tasked with leading the people of Israel. They were supposed to be the professionals. They were supposed to be the experts. They were supposed to have it all figured out. They had convinced themselves that they had it all figured out. They knew what they needed to know about God. They were doing what they needed to do to be in right relationship with God. And then God shows up. God shows up and faces them face to face in this person, Jesus. Jesus says, this is my vision for the world, and it's a little bit different than the one that you might be imagining. And rather than saying, oh, we might be wrong about that, our, our hands might be dirtier than we are comfortable with, they say, no, nope. we're convinced of this. Our hands are clean, and we will go so far as to remove you. But they're not 
able to do it themselves, or they're not willing to do it themselves. So they bring uh, Jesus to the Romans to do it for them. There's even this imagery that happens uh, in a little bit earlier in the story, which we didn't talk about today, where they go, they bring Jesus to Pilate, but they refuse to go inside because they want to remain ceremoniously clean. They want the dirty work to be done, but they're not willing to do it themselves. Now, so, that's, rep- that's the first group that's doing some reputation management. However, they're not the only ones. Uh, as, as we're going to see as, as we go on, and I'll touch on in just a minute, they get a whole lot of flack. The Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, get the primary responsibility in this story uh, for, for what's going to happen to Jesus, and it's not fully deserved. Because there's other reputation management that's going on here. And if you just scratch at the surface a little bit, you can see that the crown of the most reputation management that's happening here is Pilate. Pilate, who is this troll and this uh, bully, who is, when you scratch at the surface, he's just trying not to have to do his job. (laughs) He's desperately trying to find a way out of having dirty hands at all. He's trying to get out of his job however he can. So first, we saw last week, he hears Jesus say, uh, confront him with truth. He doesn't want to face that truth. He turns and he tries to get rid of Jesus as quickly as possible. But then he would look weak. So what he does is he goes out and he says, uh, you know, there's this custom where we could release somebody. We could release Jesus or we could release this revolutionary, thinking that they're going to release Jesus. Here's the problem. There's not a single ancient source that says that there was a custom about this. Not a single one. So either Jesus' biographers are making this up or Pilate is on the spot making this up trying to get the sentiment of the season that they're in and saying, uh, it, it feels like you might be willing to forgive some people. We'll call it a custom. Um, they don't bite on that. So now what's he going to do to keep his hands clean? Well, now there's this suggestion that he's going to cede power over to the mobs. This guy is a Roman governor supported by the, the biggest and most powerful empire and army in the history of the world to this point. He's really just going to take uh, hand everything over to the mob, and he's going to be convinced because there's religious rules that are being broken, religious laws that are being broken. Roman laws trump all the religious laws. He's really going to allow them to win? And, and then there's the, there's the other ancient sources which say that, oh, he hands them over, the This story says he hands them over to be crucified by the the Jewish people. Jews don't have that authority. There's no ancient sources that say that Jewish people have ever crucified anyone. That's what Romans do. So what we see here is that Pilate's trying to wash his own hands because he's a coward. The one thing that finally makes him make the decision that is going to get his hands a little bit dirty, you know what it is? He's worried about being told on. He's worried because the the Jewish people say, the Jewish leaders say, if you don't follow through on this, we're going to tell Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king says that Caesar is not king. So finally, Pilate's like, I got to act. I don't care if I'm seen as, as dirty to them. I need to make sure I'm clean before my boss. So Pilate is doing reputation management here as well. 
But there's one other actor in this story or behind this story that might be a little bit surprising who's doing reputation management. And that guy's name is John. John is the author of this biography about the life of Jesus. He was also one of the closest uh, followers of Jesus. And it's really confusing what's going on here because John like goes out of his way to blame all of this on the Jews. To the point where John's biography about the life of Jesus for 2,000 years has been used by people who dislike the Jews for anti-Semitic reasoning. Listen, why should we not like the Jews? Because John says we shouldn't, because he, they are responsible for killing Jesus. Scholars don't really know why he went this far. He, like, went overboard to make sure, no, we don't blame Pilate. Pilate was clean. We want to blame the Jews. Was he trying to make it palatable to the Roman people that he was trying to convert? We're, we're not really sure, but it's like, Pilate shouldn't have been left off the hook here. But then he's also managing his own reputation. <laughs> See, what happens in, in the story as it follows, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus does get crucified. He does get killed. And in the other three versions of this story, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Jesus' closest followers all desert him. They're all gone. They run for the hills. And the only people that, left, that are left to stay connected to Jesus are the women. Guess who keeps around, who stays around in John's version of the story? John's still there. It's almost like he's saying, oh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they must have missed something because I was still there. I didn't give up on Jesus. No, I was still there. John's managing his own reputation here as well. Time and time again, every single person in this story is, is managing their reputation. The, the Jewish people don't want to change. They don't want to have to think about uh, that, that they may have thought things that were incorrect, that they needed to do things differently. Pilate didn't want to make difficult decisions. He wanted to, to pawn the difficult decisions onto to other people. He was looking out for himself. He didn't want to get in trouble. John was trying to make things more palatable. He didn't want to rock the boat too much. There's one person who doesn't do reputation management in this story. Anybody? The correct answer is Jesus. <laughs> Your Sunday school answer is correct. Jesus is the guy who's uh, he's brought in, he is flogged, he's spat on, he's hit, he's got every opportunity to try to maintain his reputation, and he refuses to do it. He could clean his record if he wanted to. He could clean his hands if he wanted to. And instead, it's like he says, this is going to be messy, and you know what? I'm game. I'm game. Reputation management. The, the thing about these stories, um, the thing about these stories is not just that they happened. It's that they happen. Things like this happen. It's not just that people have done these things, that they, it's that we are capable of doing these things. I, if the Jewish religious leaders are capable of doing this, if Pilate and the Romans are capable of doing this, if, if John is capable of doing this, then we are too. Now, what I don't want you to do is I do not want to project shame and, um, 
and guilt on you. You didn't kill Jesus. I didn't kill Jesus. We've got enough shame and guilt to go around, right? There's, there's plenty of places, plenty of sources where you're going to find guilt and shame. What I would like for us to think about, though, is responsibility. For us as humans, if these are things that we are capable of, then we need to pay attention to them. We need to pay attention to where they've been done before to make sure that we ourselves don't do it again. And so we tell stories like this one. We tell stories of, of this trial that Jesus was put under. We tell stories of, uh, of the crucifixion. We also tell stories of the Stonewall riots and of Jim Crow and of the Holocaust and of chattel slavery and of Native American genocide. Not because we ourselves done them, not because they happen, but because they can happen. As humans, these are the things that we're capable of. And if we're capable of them, we need to make sure that going forward, we don't do them again. Back to the trolley problem. You know what's most messy about the trolley problem? Is that there is not a right answer to keep your hands clean. The answer itself about what to do with the trolley problem is actually in the moral exercise. Here's what we find in the trolley problem. To willfully allow someone to die, five people to die without stepping in to do something, is morally the same as willfully killing someone. Standing back and allowing something to happen is, at least in our, in our trying to figure out the trolley problem, is just as bad as willfully killing someone. So the answer is, the next time you willfully stand back and allow something to happen, instead of stepping in, it's almost like killing someone. The answer to the trolley problem is to not allow that to happen, to keep that morality out in front of you, to say, you know what? When I see something that humans are capable of, I am going to step in and not allow that to happen. So imagine, once again, if we were seeds. But we were seeds where weeds grow up. If you see weeds, are you just going to allow them to stay there? Or are you going to step in, get your hands dirty, and do something about them? We do that. We acknowledge that. We tell these stories. We engage in that messy work, getting our hands dirty, not just trying to wash them off, precisely because we know that beauty is possible. It's precisely because we are seeds that can grow beautiful things. And we do it precisely because of the way of Jesus, which does not just kind of try to clean things away, but engages in the messiness of life, the messiness of moral living as a human, because we trust that that way is the way that we're actually going to find freedom. May that be so.